Thank you, New Hope Band. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Everyone with me this morning? You heard the announcement. We'll be back in Romans this evening. We'll still be in chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 18 and maybe try to get through the rest of the chapter. And it is a good one. Remember, um, we kind of had given a little homework assignment. It was Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 18. Uh, so go through that and jot down what you think the writer is trying to convey. And that was the homework assignment. And you had a couple weeks to do it, by the way. So no excuses. I don't know if any of you heard, just before I get started, did any of you happen to hear that Roe versus Wade was struck down? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, fighting for what is right comes with a cost, though. And this nation's paying the price even now, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Doing what's right is always worth it. Now, this morning, I'm going to ask you for your undivided attention. This is pretty important maybe even some tough stuff that we have to get through this morning, but I believe this is where God would have us to be this morning. So please give me your best ear, turn off all the sights and sounds of the world, and listen to the Word of God this morning. Now we have started our study in the book of Romans in the Fellowship Hall on our Sunday evenings, and it contains a boatload of Christian doctrine. Probably more doctrine in the book of Romans than maybe any other book in the Bible. Lots of doctrine in there. And it is good, brothers and sisters, hear me. It is good to know and to study Christian doctrine. Very good. It's what creates unity. It, it, it gets rid of any outliers. Well, someone says this good. Someone says that's good. No, no, no. What does the word of God say? That's how we serve Christ. That's how we do church. It's doctrine. All comes from doctrine. It is good that we know doctrine. So on our Sunday evenings, we're going through all this stuff, and a lot of it is doctrine, so I thought maybe it might be appropriate to go over some doctrine this morning. Now, someone from this church actually asked me a question. Man, it, it probably was a year ago. But ever since this person asked me a question, I've always wanted to preach on this. Um, so that's your lead time. If you ask me a question, maybe I'll preach on it at a year from now. Just... Um, but, you know, God just has his way, and we get to things whenever we get to them, and all God's timing. But someone asked me this question. Listen, this very important question. How do you know that you're saved? I mean, how do you know? It's, it's called the doctrine of assurance. Assurance of salvation. How do you know that you really are saved? Just repeat some words or, or say something that the pastor tells you to say or do something that he tells you to do or be good, behave, cut out a few bad habits, stop saying curse words, whatever it is. Does that mean I'm saved? How do you know that you're saved? And, and I, I honestly believe that all of us, every true Christian has wrestled with this at some point. And sometimes we wrestle with it even now. There's probably people wrestling even now with the assurance of salvation. You know, how do we know 
Or how are we assured that we're saved? Maybe you were saved a long time ago, long, long, long time ago, and, and you, maybe you were saved at another church, and maybe you don't know if it transfers to another church that you come to now. Maybe you went through a very ugly time in your life, and now you're starting to question your own salvation, and you've got some genuine questions. This, this is a very human emotion to, to really wonder. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would like to be a good Christian, but I'm not all the time. And when I fail God, sometimes it, it, it causes these questions inside of me to come up. Are you really saved? Because if you was really saved, you wouldn't do that. We all wrestle with this. How do you know that you're really saved? You know, that's a very important question. It's pretty important to know where your eternal soul is going. You know, that's, that's one thing that amazes me. If you look around at the millions and millions of people, it's almost like they don't care whatsoever happens to their soul. I've had, I've had buddies tell me back in the day, working in secular work, hey man, what about your soul? Don't you care about your soul? Ah, God will do whatever he wants with me. He'll put me where he thinks I belong. You know, I, I find that very dangerous. That's very dangerous to, to gamble with your soul. This ain't no rule of the dice, brothers and sisters. How can you be sure that you know where you're going to go? Be, because the options between the two places where your soul's going to re reside, they're vastly different. You, you are either going to spend eternity in heaven, dwelling with God, wherein is righteousness, the Bible says, or you, are, you will spend eternity in hell. Those are the two choices you might want to figure out which one you're going to. It behooves us to know which place we're going. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I don't want to mistakenly live my life thinking that I'm going to heaven only to be rejected when I stand before the divine judge. I, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't. You, you know that the Bible warns us that that very thing I just said is going to happen to a lot of people. That people will live their lives not having asked these very questions that we'll ask ourselves this morning. And they are self-deceived. They are self-deluded into the fact of, I, I am saved. My soul's good. That's not a problem for me. And they will be rejected when they stand before the divine judge. They will be turned away. That happens in the Bible. Christ reveals it to us. Christ tells us that there will be people that come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, it's me. And he will say to them, I don't know you. He, he will say to them, I don't know where you come from. That, that is what he's going to say. He warns us that this is going to happen. I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. That will be the fate of many, many people. So it behooves us to ask ourselves, might we be one of those people? Listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out many devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
Th these will be people that stand before Christ thinking that they are saved. These will be people that stand before Christ seeking to enter in. And he will say to them, I don't know you. Depart from me. Leave my presence. I'm banishing you to eternal hell because you were not saved. I don't know you. I checked the book of life and your name is not written in there. Imagine the shock that's going to grip these people. Having spent their whole lives and never looked at Christian doctrine to see if they were truly saved. We better go over doctrine of assurance this morning, amen? You know, this is not something you just roll the dice on. This is not something you just, well, I'm just going hoping for the best. Well, I've a church, attended church. I ain't missed a service in 10 years. I, I, I think that's good enough. I feel that it'll be good enough. I feel that he's going to let me in. He's a good God. He'll let me in. He won't turn me away. You'd better know what the word says. You know, I have to think, and from the passage of scripture that we just read, Christ's word, I have to think logically, logically that these people, they're going to be mostly religious folks. The, the people that are going to be shocked and turned away and rejected. They're going to be mostly religious folks. Because it says they prophesied in his name. That's church people do that. It says they cast out devils in his name. That's church people do that. It says they did many mighty works, many wondrous works in his name. That's church people that do that. Listen to me, unchurched, non-religious people do not make claims like that. These people that Christ describes to us that he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you, they will be religious, church-going folks. Heathens don't prophesy and cast out devils in Jesus' name. They don't do that. They don't claim to do that. Church people do. Only church folks do that. So we got to make sure that we don't fall into this category. Amen? We got to make sure this ain't us. This ain't me. I don't want it to be me. I don't want to be shocked. I don't want there to be any surprises. Uh-uh. I want to know. And how can we know? We said, Lord, I was a part of New Hope Church. Lord, I saw many wondrous worship service. Oh, the band, they get to playing. Lord, it was great. Lord, I raised my hands. Lord, I gave an a, a expensive gift to the church one time of a lot of money. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. How do we know that's not going to be us? Luke chapter 13, verse 25. This is our dear Lord speaking again. He says, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and you even taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. These will be people that will be shocked on judgment day. They'll be shocked. They'll be in awe. What, what are you talking about? I was good friends with the pastor. They'll be shocked. These are people that are self-deceived into thinking that they are saved. They thought they were going to heaven, but they got denied entrance. They thought they knew Christ. But Christ said, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know whence ye are, meaning I don't even know where you come from. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, he says. 
I don't want to be one of those people, church. I don't want you to be one of those people. So how do we know? How do we know? How do we get assured of where our soul is going to spend eternity? I've heard people say, well, you just know. You know, there's, there's a little bit of truth to that statement. There is. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this. It says, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you are genuinely saved, the, the Spirit of God is imparted into the believer. In the Spirit of God, He confirms with the Spirit man inside of you that you are a son or a daughter of God. So that is true. You will know. It will be confirmed inside of you. The only problem with that is there are a lot of people that are not very spiritually discerning these days. They can't dis tell an evil spirit from a good spirit. They, they can't discern the difference between the two. How many of you know there are a lot of evil spirits out there? There are a lot of evil, deceiving spirits out there. Matter of fact, in the latter days, in the end times, one of the best weapons of the enemy is going to be deceitfulness. He's going to deceive many. And there's lots of people thinking they have the Spirit of God inside of them, and they're saying, yeah, I'm good, it's me. Millions and millions of people all over the world think they're saved, but they are not. So then how do we know? Come on, we got to figure this out. How do we know? You know, brothers and sisters, we can know if we search the Scriptures. We can. If, if we seek biblical doctrine, we can know. There are several what I call tests we can run on ourselves to see if we be found in the faith or not. I call them tests. Things start to clear up when you dive into the Word of God, especially the book of Romans. Let's start in Romans chapter 10, verses 9, or 10, verses 9 and 10. This is a very well-known biblical text. You've heard it many times, Pastor Joe many times. I've said this many times. But we're going to start here, and as we start here, remember, we're asking ourselves, how can we know if, uh, how can I know if I'm saved? How can you know if you're saved? How can we be assured of salvation? Things start to clear up when we look at the book of Romans. Chapter 10, verse 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now first thing that I notice the Bible doesn't say, it doesn't say confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine head. It says, believe in thine heart. Believe in your heart. Salvation is not an intellectual ascent. That's not what it is. Do you believe it in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Do you genuinely believe that God raised Jesus in bodily form from the dead? That's called the resurrection. Do you believe that? Well, statistically speaking, that's highly improbable. Uh, but maybe, you know, it's not with your intellect. There, there are people that they, they look at the, the Bible for strictly literary purposes. There are people that look at the Bible for strictly historical purposes. There are people that memorize large portions of Scripture. There's people that memorize entire books of the Bible. Do you believe in your heart that God hath raised Christ from the dead? 
Listen, if you believe in your heart, it, it, it means this. It's like this internal consent with the root of your being that you believe that God has raised Christ from the dead. Belief in one's heart is the acceptance of the gospel at the core of who you are. You, you truly believe that you are sinful. You truly believe that you need a Savior, and you truly believe that Jesus is that Savior. Do you really believe that? I am not a good person. Jesus is that Savior. I need Him in my life. Do you really believe the gospel message? And then, once you believe that in your heart, then you confess it with your mouth. You believe it in here first, and then it comes out here. You know, you audibly audibly confession is made with the mouth the bible says you audibly confess this you verbally say this you verbally audibly associate yourself with christ you openly admit your faith in christ you confess it to god and anyone else who might inquire salvation brothers and sisters is not a secret to be kept it is a confession to be made you confess him openly and unashamedly. Are you one of them dear Christians? Yes. Or no. There is no eh, sort of. I mean, there's a lot of people that say that Jesus, he, he was an awesome prophet. He did teach good things. The Bible has some good stuff in it. You know, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. That's all good stuff. Are you a Christian? Yes. Yes, I am a Christian. There's no somewhat, sort of, partially, kind of. It's yes or no. That's genuine salvation. Belief in the heart which generates a confession from the mouth. That's genuine salvation. We have a lot of people, I believe, in especially in America, we have a lot of people that have confessed something about Christ, they might have said the right words, but there's no heart behind it. There was no heart, no heart in it. They said everything right. It seemed to you and I, it seemed like they're a Christian. They, they said the right thing. Man, they, they admitted that they was a sinner. They admitted that Jesus was Lord. But if it's not in here first, it's got to be in here first, and then it comes out here. A lot of people confess something about Christ. There's no heart behind it. That's called a false conversion. That's called a false convert. Not saved. No assurance. No assurance for those people. That there was no heart involved. As a pastor, I can't assure you of salvation if that's you. That's our first test. Do you genuinely believe the gospel? Well, well what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus was made unrighteous so that we could be the righteousness of God. Do you believe the gospel and did you openly confess it? If you've done that, then brothers and sisters, you are saved. You are what the Bible calls born again. Pesky little thing that Nicodemus couldn't understand. How shall a man be born again? Now, We've solved the problem of assurance, right? Well, not so quickly. 
really all we've done so far was sorted out the imposters. Okay? Sorted out the true converts from the false converts. Here's, here's where things can get a little sticky in the lives of a, a church-going Christian folks. What happens, what happens, and I want you to think about this. What happens when we truly have repented, we truly believe the gospel, we truly confess Christ, but then we mess up and we make mistake, we sin. You know, that's, that's when we start to struggle with this assurance, you know. Well, I'm a believer, I do believe, I do confess. But then you go on in your life and you make a big giant mess out of things. It happens, doesn't it? It happens. Do not try to tell me for one second. Not me, Pastor. Everything's good in my life. We are sinful people. We are fleshly people. A lot of people struggle with assurance when they mess up. When you fail God, you don't feel very saved, do you? And when you make a big giant mess out of things, it does not feel good. I've been, I would even use the word embarrassed times when I go to pray to God embarrassed at the things that I've done, embarrassed at the way that I've behaved, embarrassed that I let things come out of my mouth or I did certain actions. It's embarrassing to go before God. It's, it's embarrassing and, and shameful and humiliating, and you kind of go beating around the bush. Hi, God, how are you? And, and you almost don't want to talk to him because it's so embarrassing. And then you start wondering, am I really saved? How is it that I'm doing this goofy stuff? You see, we live in a very feelings-based society, don't we? It's called postmodernism. If it feels good, do it. If it's truth to you, then it's true to you. What's true to me might not be true to you, but it's truth to me. And when we sin and when we mess up, we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. We don't feel saved. And we start to question our salvation. It's, it's very natural. It happens to all of us. You know, I believe the Apostle Paul wades through a lot of this stuff. You can see him even kind of questioning and wondering his way through this stuff, and it's recorded for us in the Scriptures in, in Romans chapter 7. Listen to this, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. You can see, I, I hope you can see Apostle Paul wading through and, and trying to figure through and work some of this stuff out. He says in Romans 7, verse 18, he says, For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. We, we want to do good, we will to do good, but then we end up doing bad. And then there's a conflict inside of us. Paul is, is wading through his frustrations here. Paul's genuine heart is to obey and follow God at all times. But then he sees himself slipping up and making mistakes and failing his Savior. And, and you see this internal struggle inside of Paul. We want to do good, but we still find ourselves doing bad. I don't know how you, but sometimes I, I daydream or I visualize things. And man, in my mind, I'm the most awesome Christian on the world. Man, I'd die for Christ and I wouldn't even, wouldn't even think twice about it. But sometimes that doesn't match reality. You, you ever been through something like that? You know, we're these awesome Christians in our mind and in the way we visualize things. But in reality, you can't even get past the most simple things without screwing them up. Verse 21, Paul says... I find then a law that 
when I would do good, evil is present with me. Brothers and sisters, do you see the struggle here in this text? Do you see Paul's frustration here in this text? This is the reason why folks struggle with assurance of salvation. Because inside of them, in their being, they believe that God hath raised Christ from the dead. They genuinely confess it and open it, but then they find themselves doing sinful things. And it creates this internal struggle. Am I really saved? Because I want to do good, but I keep sinning. I believe the gospel. I confess Jesus, but there's still sinfulness in my flesh. Paul makes that very clear to us. And it it creates, brothers and sisters, you ever felt this? It creates this tug of war inside of us. It's almost like the the two different natures, the the nature of the carnal side and the nature of the spiritual side. And boy, they are both just tugging on each other, trying to overcome each other. This tug of war causes us to question, am I really saved? Can Can I really even be saved? Look at how sinful I am. Look at the the most basic things I screw up. We've all felt that way, amen? We've all felt that way. Not good enough, not not saved enough, not worthy, ashamed, embarrassed. If the other people in church knew the the real me, they'd ask me to not come back anymore. Everybody else that knew Hope's an awesome Christian except for me. We've all said those things to ourselves. I've said those things to myself many times. You ain't worthy to be no pastor. You're a bum. You can't even get past simple things. Any Pick any, pluck any person out of the congregation and they're a better person than you are. We all wrestle with those things. But thanks to the scriptures, we can test all that stuff. I've told you there's tests in the Bible. We can test all this stuff. There are more biblical tests to find out if we're in the faith. Now, this, brothers and sisters, is why it's important to know good, solid biblical doctrine there's our our first little test okay Romans chapter 6 verse 1 good test says this this apostle Paul again what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound he says God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein now, let, let me try to explain the, that, the couple little scriptures there, and I, I hope this helps you, but listen to me really quickly here. It is not a question. It is not a question of if you are going to sin. It's a question of when you are going to sin. Not if, but when. You are going to sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So first of all, we must admit that even though we have repented and believed the gospel, we still commit sins. Not if you'll sin, but when. It's not if, when. It's going to happen. It's going to. You're still clothed in flesh. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw things up. Even the most genuine of believers is going to screw it up. Watch as you Love and respect Pastor Joe. If you watch him close enough, he's going to screw up. We have some awesome elders you saw praying for people down here. As respectable as they are, as genuine as they are, you watch them close enough, they're going to mess up. They're going to screw something up. They're going to commit a sin. 
But did you see the litmus test there in Romans chapter 6? Did, did you see it? He said, should we just continue in sin so that grace may abound? It's almost like the Apostle Paul saying, well, I, I already screwed up, so should I just continue in it? You know, I, I already messed it up, so might as well just keep going, right? He says, God forbid. No, how shall we live any longer therein? You cannot, listen to me, you cannot live in it. You will mess up, but you can't live therein. That, that's the litmus test right there. God forbid to continue in it. No, 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 you didn't. If you have messed up, stop it, change course, get back on the straight and narrow. That, that's the little litmus test that we can run on ourselves to see if we be in the faith or not. You want assurance of salvation? Then you better start running yourself through these tests. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That, brothers and sisters, is the telltale sign. You will mess up. You will, but you cannot live in it. You can't stay there. You've got to come up out of there. Listen, the habitual practice of iniquity is a telltale sign that there is a problem. It's a red flag. Ching, red flag. Something's wrong. If you, listen to me, if you are living in sin, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. God, if God is pointing something out in your life saying, uh-uh, this needs to go. This is in between you and me. This is causing separation. This is a problem. This is sinfulness. And you say, eh, no, thank you, Lord. I'm going to keep it there. That's a red flag. You want assurance? Get rid of that thing. You want to know where you're going? You want to be confident in where you're going? Get rid of that thing that he's putting his finger on. You've heard of a medical practice, right? All of us go see a doctor. We, we prayed for people this morning. We've got to go get tests from doctors. We've all heard of a medical practice. Every day, that, that doctor practices his craft on a professional level. You can't do that as a Christian. You, you can't sin that way. On a professional, repetitive less life, you cannot do that. No, 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 you cannot. you got to come up out of that thing. Give it to God. You can't practice sin. You cannot practice it and be assured of salvation. You can't live therein. If the, if the Bible says not to do something and you willfully, blatantly live in direct defiance to it, that's a red flag. And this, this continues this way and continues and continues and God keeps giving you these warnings and warnings and warnings and you just keep going full steam ahead. I can offer you no assurance this morning. Here's another test that Romans gives us. I told you this would be tough stuff this morning. But, but does it not behoove us to go over this now rather than when we're standing before that divine judge? We might as well go over it now. You might as well get an attitude with me now or disagree with me now. Then we all get there and some of us are shocked. And then you blame me for not saying all these things. I'm going to say them to you now. Romans chapter 7 verse 20. Another test. These are ways we test ourselves. Romans chapter 7, verse 20 says, this is Apostle Paul again. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. 
He goes on and says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. You can see Paul discussing this war that rages between flesh and spirit, between the spirit man and the flesh man. The, the, that is the conflict between two natures. But look back, brothers and sisters, and here's the test. Look back at verse 22. This is a test. Apostle Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That is the sincere testimony of a saved person. Do you see the test there? Paul, Paul is openly admitting he struggles. He, he's not trying to hide it. He's not saying, no, nothing to see here. I am good. If you turn over any rocks, if you look in any crevices, there's nothing to find in my life. He's not saying that. He's saying, man, I struggle. Man, I wrestle with stuff. But then he openly says, but I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That is the testimony of a born-again individual. That, that should be how you feel about his word, about his law. You should delight in it, brothers and sisters. The struggle is there. It's there. We can't deny it. The struggle's in me. The struggle's in you. But the love for God's law is there too. I love his law. I love his word. Yes, I violated scriptures sometimes. Yes, I make a mess. Yes, I feel ashamed of my behavior. Yes, I feel ashamed of some of the things I say and, and think and do. But I still love his law. I love it. That's a telltale sign, church. That's the test. Listen to me now. God's law is not grievous to a saved person. God's law is not restrictive to a saved person. God's law is not burdensome to a saved person. Uh-uh. That is the test. If you're here this morning, and, and this is a book that's restricting you from living the way that you want, man, this, I can't do this now. Well, I just read a verse now that says I can't do that. If that's the way you're viewing it, I can't, can't offer you any assurance this morning. You should love his law, love his commands. That, that is a test. You know, those little litmus papers, the pH, we used to do those in high school. You'd have to dip it in a certain solution, and the color told you whether it was acidic or alkaline. And you dip it in there, and then you looked at what it said. That's, that's all we're doing this morning. We're holding these scriptures up. We're, we're dipping ourselves into them, and then you're looking at it, and you're saying, yes, I got assurance. Or the other thing. Do you delight in the law of God? Do you really delight in the law of God? There, there should be, inside of the true believer, a longing to please God. You might botch it up, but the longing should be there. The longing should be there. There should be a desire to obey and keep his commandments. You might mess them all up. It's going to be imperfect, but the desire should be there. It's, it's a test. Dip the paper in and, and check the results. What are they? Even if you mess up, the desire should still be there. It should still be there. Let me ask you just a couple 
little basic questions because these are all telltale signs. Do you like coming to church? Do you like coming to church? Very simple question. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Or is it burdensome? Does church get in the way? You could be out riding your motorcycle. You could be out on your boat right now. You could be out on a jet ski right now. Do you like coming to church? You know what? The testimony of a true born-again believer is you love being around the family of God. You love your brothers and sisters. They might be screwballs that mess up too, but so are you. But you have that unity in Christ. And you want to be around them. No, it's not a perfect church. No, they're not believers. Or not perfect. You're not perfect. She's not perfect. He's not perfect. He makes a mess out of this. He messed up on that. But it's the best we got down here on this planet. And you should want to be with fellow believers. Maybe not every minute every day, but when church comes around, you should be looking forward to it. It is a test. Do you like being with like-minded Christian brothers and sisters? Do you love his word? These are all tests. If you don't like his word, you can't stand it. I don't like it. I don't want it. These are, these are red flags. You know, there is that struggle between the two natures. A lot of times we always try to hide that. We do. We try to act like, I'm a Christian, man, everything is perfect, nothing wrong with me. So, so many times we try to hide that, but that's not what Paul's saying. He, he's openly admitting, man, there's a war. He calls it a war inside of him. Uh, you know what, I'm going to tell you, that's how I feel sometimes. There's a war. Now I have good days, but I have bad days. It, it feels like Vietnam going off inside of there sometimes. But I still love his law. These are signs. One more little test from the Bible. Now I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to support it biblically. This is an important question. I want you to think about it. Does sin bother you? Does sin bother you? When you sin, does it bug you? Does it agitate you? Does it frustrate you? Does it upset you? Does it hurt you? Does it disgust you even? Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. We're going to read a passage of scripture here. Because I'm going to biblically support the question I just asked you. It says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. This is after Christ had been arrested, convicted, and they're going to crucify him. Verse 7, he says, But he denied before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he was gone out into the porch, Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I, I do not know the man, I swear it. And after a while came unto him they, those that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began Peter to curse and to swear, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, 
Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Brothers and sisters, I believe Peter loved Christ. I do. If you follow the, the life of Peter even after Christ ascends, Peter becomes one of the main leaders in the New Testament church. He goes on to write a couple of the epistles for crying out loud. He loved Jesus, one of the closest disciples, one of the first ones picked, Simon Peter. Come off that boat. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter was one of his closest. He loved Christ. It was not a false conversion. He loved Jesus. He believed he was the Messiah. But here we see Peter sin in denying Christ. He denies him three times. If you look at verse 74 where it says, And immediately the cock crew. It's almost as if like this sin just hits Peter like a ton of bricks. And those haunting prophetic words of Christ come to his mind. And he remembers, he, he said I would deny him three times before the cock crew. But the point to this is, I want you to see Peter's response. If the band can begin to make their way back, please. That last little sentence says, and he went out and wept bitterly. Do, do you see that, church? Do you see what I'm seeing? I, I believe that that denial that Peter made towards his Savior, I believe it broke him. It broke his heart. Broke his own heart. His own sin ripped his own heart out. And he wept bitterly. This is a full-grown man weeping bitterly. He had denied Christ and it caused him agony. That, brothers and sisters, that, that's the test. That's the test. When you sin, what is your response? What, what is your response? That's the proper response when we sin. It, it's a brokenness. You, you failed he that you love. You failed he that has saved you. You know, it, it's not good. Not good. Not, and I can offer you no assurance if sin is no big deal to you. And, and I see that in a lot, of, a lot of Christian people. I see it in a lot of them. Yeah, I screwed up. No big deal, man. The Lord paid for those sins. Man, he died for my sins. No big deal at all. I'm good, man. They, they, those, those sins came with a heavy price tag to Christ. Do you understand that? A very heavy price tag. The, the sins that we look so lightly on costed God his own son. Do you understand that? And he went out and wept bitterly. That's the proper response when we sin. It should be a big deal to us. It should be a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal to God. You know that your heart should be in alignment with his heart if you're truly saved and born again. If, and what I mean by that is if something bothers God, then it should bother you. And sin bothers God, sin should bother you. If you look lightly on sin, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. It's, it's a test. It's a test showing you the evidence. Remember, Christ paid for those sins with his blood. He, he paid with them with his blood. Look at it that way. 
sin should bother you like it bothers him. If sin doesn't bother you, that is a red flag. We'll stop there, brothers and sisters. But, but I hope that you sincerely ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself these questions. G genuinely, do you believe the gospel message? Do you really believe that in your heart? Have you truly confessed it audibly before God so that God can hear you? Do you believe that you are a wicked, fallen person and that this sinless man named Jesus Christ came into the world, paid for all the sins of the world to any who would receive it, and you receive it by faith, you believe it and you confess it? Is that what's in your heart? Is that what's in your heart? Not, not up here in your head, but is that in your heart? Yes, we should believe it in our head. I'm not dismissing the head part. We should love him with all of our mind. But salvation does not come from there. It comes from down here. Does sin bother you? And, and remember that Romans 6.1, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Brothers and sisters, if you have screwed up, God forbid you keep going. No, 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 no. Come up out of there. Repent. Repent. Get back on that straight and narrow path. And do not continue therein, going down that way. Because that is a red flag. Let's stand this morning. Church, these altars are always open. Always open. If there is something you need to come down and, and confront today, better today than when you're standing before that judge. Better now than later. Better now than later. Let's pray. We'll go into worship and these altars will be open. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning. Lord, I know it's, it's a tough word. It's, it's confronting things that we all deal with, Lord. It's confronting the two natures that are inside of us. Confronting, and we have to admit this morning, Lord God, we are still sinful people. We're very fleshly. We're very needy. We're very fallen, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to hide that. We want to actually get it out in the open this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that everyone in here takes seriously this doctrine of assurance. Lord, we didn't cover it all. There's lots more we could go over. But, Lord, we're going to end here. And Lord, I pray that this word is hidden in your people's heart. If there be things that they need to confront, Lord, I pray you move upon people. Send them to this altar, Lord, even now, Lord. In Jesus, we pray.